My name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free. It is a joy to be with you, however you're joining us, whether you're in your car or in your living room, in your kitchen, around your kitchen table with family, perhaps a couple friends with you right now. We are so grateful that you've chosen to worship with us today, and um, looking forward to this morning's message. Really, so very excited about what is to come in the weeks to come. As we are continuing to go through this really disturbing time and we're praying for our community and our state and really our whole world, at the same time we are looking forward to the day that we'll be back together in person here at Carney E. Free Church and we're making plans for that with all kinds of different precautions and as has been noted already, well, we'll continue to have this online option for those who are not yet ready to join us in the weeks to come as well, but we are excited to begin planning that and thinking about being together with you again sometime real soon. What a powerful song that was that we just sang. I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. That is our deep abiding hope and trust that God's still moving. And he's going to do it again. He's going to move the mountains. And we have great times in our future to come. And I believe God's doing some incredible things in people in our church and our broader community across the state, really across our nation, even through this time of stay at home and quarantine and all the rest. He's doing great things. I know he's been changing some things in my world. And uh, so very grateful for that. And I pray that he's doing great work in your world as well and can't wait to hear stories and be back together again sometime real soon. You know, it was about 14 years ago that I had the privilege of leading a team down to New Orleans just weeks after Hurricane Katrina hit that city. And it was absolutely devastating to go to that city and see this war zone of a place where, if you remember, in New Orleans and southern Mississippi alone, almost 2,000 people died in a few short days. And we brought a team of folks from our church to gut drywall from homes that were flooded and provide ready-to-eat military meals to people who had no access to grocery stores. And hundreds of thousands lost their homes, and many, many more lost sanitation and electricity and access to grocery stores and all of that. And so we were doing just the most basic emergency relief services. And had a rich time of getting to know the 10 people that I went there with. But there was one man in particular that I really got to know. I didn't know him well before we went to New Orleans together. And while we were down there and then shortly after we returned, he started to ask me a number of really big questions. We'll just call him Chuck. And Chuck came to me, and, and he saw the devastation in New Orleans, and he would ask questions like, man, why did all this happen? Why did all this happen to these people who are so poor? This is like the poorest of the poor in New Orleans and St. Bernard Parish, and why are they dealing with all this? And, and where's God in all this? And does Christ care? Does his church care? You know, those easy kind of questions. And we sat down and we talked about those on a couple different occasions. And I got to know Chuck. I came to learn that he had been away from the church for probably some 25 years and had recently given church a try again. 
But during those 25 years, he had kind of buried a number of really deep, big questions that he was asking from his youth. He's a really sharp man who's an engineer, and he was raised in a fundamentalist church in North Carolina, and he had nothing bad to say about the church. He wasn't bashing it in any way, but as he told me a story about his childhood, I came to find out that he was at church all the time with his mother, and he loved the people there, but he was an inquisitive 16-year-old. And in high school, he started asking questions as he experienced a lot of evil in his own life. And he saw evil around him and great suffering around him. He started to ask questions. And he went to his pastor and he said, you know, what's up with this? Why does God allow so much evil in this world? And his pastor told him, you just got to have faith, Chuck. You just got to have have faith. So he went to his youth pastor and he asked the same kinds of questions. And his youth pastor said, you just have to believe a little bit harder, Chuck. And he kept asking those questions until the pastors told him to shut up. And so he did. And he buried those questions. And fast forward 25 years, now he's seeing this incredible devastation in New Orleans after Katrina, and he's asking those questions of me, and we're processing through them together But it became really evident that this hard scar had developed over a portion of his soul in which he had these really great, important questions, but he came to believe that there wasn't a place in the church to ask those questions. And he came to believe that the Bible couldn't answer those questions, and God couldn't answer those questions. And frankly... His faith never recovered. And he did shut up. And he went away. It strikes me that, that lots of people are probably starting to ask those questions right now. Amidst all that we're going through today, culturally and on top of the normal things uh, that you're experiencing in your life. And so I want to spend a little bit of time here this morning talking about that age-old question that haunts us in moments like this. How is it that an all-powerful and all-loving and totally good God, how is it that he could allow uh, as much evil and suffering in the world as we see? I'm going to address it through a couple intellectual points as we consider some ideas why perhaps there is so much evil and suffering in the world. And then also while we want to look at it uh, from a practical basis as well and think about things from an emotional perspective. And practically speaking, as we're in this series, dangerous prayers for disturbing times, disturbing times that we're living in, uh, how do we bring prayers to God in this moment as we wrestle with our questions of why. So I want to suggest two basic ideas for you though this morning, bud, before we get into the practical questions, the practical prayers though, that we might uh, present to God. And the first basic idea as we talk about the intellectual side of this great question is this. Moral evil happens to everyone because God chose to create people, not robots. God chose not to create robots. He could have done that, but instead he chose to create free human agents, people with an ability to choose or to choose otherwise. 
Uh, perhaps you remember a number of years ago, perhaps some of the ladies who are watching today, Far From Home, might remember years ago, there was a product though that was very popular with women called the Mr. Wonderful Doll. And the Mr. Wonderful Doll was really popular because he was about 12 inches tall and he was really handsome and most importantly, he never talked back. In fact, beyond never talking back, he had really nice things to, to say to the lady of the house. And I asked my wife if I could borrow her Mr. Wonderful Doll for this illustration, but she said I couldn't. So up on screen, you'll see a picture of Mr. Wonderful Doll. And uh, you would push Mr. Wonderful Doll's hand, and he had any number of different phrases that he would say in response, such as, you look so beautiful in that dress. And you'd push it again, and he would say, hello, darling. Have I told you lately how much I love you? And you'd push it again, and then he would say, did you have a hard day today? Honey, would you just sit down and I'd be happy to rub your feet? You push it again and maybe he'd say, Oh, you want to go shopping? I'd love to go shopping with you and I'll carry your bags. And my favorite one is you push Mr. Wonderful Doll and he says, Oh, I'd be happy to put the remote control away and sit down and talk with you. This game's not important. The greatest thing about Mr. Wonderful Doll is, again, he isn't sarcastic he doesn't get irritable. He's not angry. And as long as you keep him pumped with double A batteries, he'll always respond just the way you want. Sounds kind of good, right? Well, God could have made us into Mr. Wonderful Dolls and Mrs. Wonderful Dolls, in which we always say, Well, of course I'll obey you, God. Of course I want to do everything that you want me to do. Of course I will love you and love my neighbor. Well, yes, God, I would be happy to sacrifice some of my money to help the poor. Yeah, not my will, but your will be done, God. God could have done that, couldn't he? But if he would have turned us into Mr. and Mrs. Wonderful Dolls, would that have been love would we have the ability to respond to his invitation with genuine love no we would be robots who would be responding in a programmed way but not in a way that facilitates genuine freedom and genuine love for our maker and for others around us and you see, God loves us enough that he chose to create us and chose to create a world in which there was and there is genuine freedom and in which he invites you and me to choose him or not. Every year, every month, every week, every day, every hour. And we do and we see the consequences and the blessings that come in response to our choices. And he loved us so much that he was willing to get his heart broken, even as we oftentimes would not choose to follow him. The Bible testifies to this many different times, even at the very beginnings of the Bible. If you were to look at Genesis 6 right now, 
You might not have time to turn there with me, but there's a time that God's heart is literally broken over the sinfulness of men and women made in his image and likeness that he has made to reflect him. And it says, the Lord was sorry that he had ever made them and put them on the earth. In fact, it broke his heart. It broke God's heart. Like he looks over the mass evil of humanity from free moral agents who he invited into his fellowship and sometimes they said yes but so often they said no I'm going to go with self and what I want and he looks over and it breaks his heart I, I mean is that not the portrait look at Genesis 6 6 once again is that not the portrait of a heartbroken parent longing for his kids to come back to him and yet unwilling to force them or program them into it. I mean, Jesus said the same exact thing. There's this time that Jesus is going up on a hillside outside of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, and he's contemplating the reality that the religious and political leaders of his day are preparing to kill him. And they've already killed his cousin, his beloved cousin, John the Baptist, and they've already killed uh, previous prophets that God sent and Jesus looks over Jerusalem, looks over the political leaders, looks over the temple in Jerusalem, far from the Mount of Olives, and there's this beautiful hillside looking down at the temple, and he weeps as he says these words in Luke 13. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and you stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. That's how much I've longed to gather you under my arms, but you wouldn't have it. You weren't willing. I longed for you, not to program you, not to force you. I wouldn't force myself upon you, but I longed to gather you, and you wouldn't have it. And you see, my friends, most evil across most of the world occurs because of this. Free human agency. Mine too. It doesn't cut across nations or states or evil people out there. It cuts across my heart. It cuts across the center of my sternum. And we're all responsible there. And yet God determined that it was worth it not to program us or mechanically force us to love and obey him and others. Instead, he invites us and he gathers his flock into him. And the result is the most extraordinary beauty of loving relationships that could never be manufactured and with it extraordinary pain as well. And we get to play a part in that either way because God determined that love was worth it. Now, most of what we're thinking about today relates to something that's a little bit different than free moral agency than our free will. It results a little bit more to natural evil though, that we see all around us. And we're talking about the coronavirus and we think about all different other kinds of natural evil though, that we see in this world. And here's the second idea though, that I'd like you to consider as we're trying to develop an intellectual framework for why so much evil and why so much suffering in the world. Natural evil happens to everyone because this world is broken. And it's waiting to be made whole again. 
You see, the Bible teaches us that from the beginning, God created the world, and he did the most glorious, beautiful job. He was the most beautiful artist that one could possibly imagine. And if you doubt that, just go outside and watch the sun set tonight. Or even better, when the stars are out in the sky, look up at the stars and just say, wow, what a creator you were. What a creator you are. And yet, humans said to God, in spite of the fact that you are the most incredible creator and you've invited me into fellowship with you, I'm going to choose my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. And a central part of the Christian story is God invites humans into fellowship with him, and we say, "Uh, I got this. And so he says that humans are like the pinnacle of his creation in spite of the glory of the stars and the sunset and all of that. Humans are like the triumph of and the tragedy of God's creation. And so he creates the world in glory, but the world falls into something called sin, where humans, all of us, from our very first ancestors down to us as well, we've chosen to do our own thing. And the consequences for doing our own thing is not just a consequence for a few other people or for ourselves. The consequence from the very beginning is to our relationship vertically with God, And our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with others gets fractured. And even the Bible would tell us that our relationship with this earth gets fractured. That the world itself is groaning, is longing for ultimate redemption because it's been affected, it's been turned to some degree off of its axis when it lost its perfect state of glory in Eden and sin came into the world. And so we're now part of a broken system in which things break down. Romans 8 speaks to this. This is part of a biblical worldview. As you think about developing a biblical worldview, even creation is affected by the fall. Romans 8 says the creation was subjected to frustration. Still today, it obviously is. Like, you just look at the world and all the things that go wrong in this world, it's subjected to frustration. This is a little bit later on in that chapter. It's groaning. It's longing for redemption. It's longing for people like you and me to make a difference in it. It's longing for God to make it right again. We're part of, we're living in a broken system in which things break down. And in a broken system, you have people who are born, and we're born now not with our compasses pointing true north, but with our compasses pointing south. And I know babies are a lot more innocent than I am, but you watch a two- or three-year-old, and you see that their compass is mostly pointed toward themselves. And biological systems are broken, So things like cancer and pandemics spring up. And the earth has been tilted off its axis to some degree, and so hurricanes and famines spring up. And and we want to say, everything in us wants to say, who can I blame? Who can I blame? And it's just part of living in a broken world that is longing for redemption, that God can work in and work through, but oftentimes there isn't someone to blame. 
But if we have our theological and philosophical viewpoint out of order, then what inevitably happens is we can get into a place where we start to distrust the good character of God and people begin to start to blame God. And the moment you say, how can all this evil happen? It's God's fault. Then out the window goes things like prayer and worship and trust in God. And that's exactly what happened to my friend Chuck. He started to blame God. His trust in the goodness of God was eroded. I might just add as an anecdote here that to me the whole question of who's to blame is just the wrong question. For us as followers of Christ, the right question isn't who's to blame. The right question is what can I do about it? God, how can I change in a small way, starting with me and others around me, add to what you want to do to build your kingdom here? God wants us to be like uh, doctors. You imagine a doctor who's treating a gunshot wound, and when she goes in and she gets that gun out of someone's, excuse me, that, that uh, bullet out of someone's system, she's not thinking mostly about who's to blame. She's thinking about how do I heal? And so it is with us as we operate in this world. We're not thinking mostly about who, who can I blame for all that is going on. We think about how do I bring healing to the places God has called me. And friends, in short, this is, again, in very short order, this is the intellectual response that we would have to the question of why is there so much pain and suffering and evil in this world? God determined, number one, that it was worth it to have free moral agents who could freely interact with him and enter into a loving relationship with him and with others. And yet this world became broken, and so there's going to be some natural evil that we all experience in this broken world though, that we are living in. And yet Jesus says, I have come to overcome the pain of this world. In me, you will have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. In me, you'll have peace. And when you begin to put these things together, some intellectual answers to the problem of suffering and evil in the world with some experiential answers, with the presence of Christ and beginning to process through how God would have us pray through these things, then we're able to begin to get through them. I've spoken this morning already about the fact of evil and how we respond objectively to the fact of evil. But I don't know about you, well, when I'm experiencing the feeling of evil, the feeling of suffering, when I see the face of evil, the facts of how I respond to it, it matters, but that by itself is not enough. So what I want to do here is shift gears a little bit and suggest a few prayers and the way Christ responds with us in this moment of pandemic that we are struggling with in the midst of these disturbing times, prayers that we can bring to God as we seek to process through what we're all experiencing together as a community. Let me give you three prayers. Here, here's the first one in the midst of this really disturbing time. It's okay for you to go to God and say, why, God? Why so much suffering? Why so much evil in this world? Why did I have to go through this job loss? Why did I get this diagnosis? You know, the longest 
book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is 150 chapters, and 30% of the Psalms are what you call Psalms of Lament, in which King David or any number of different authors are kind of writing down their journal to God, and their journal becomes songs to God. And oftentimes they are sharing their anger and their frustration and their disappointment and their big questions of, why God? Why so much pain? Why so much suffering? And what you learn as you read the Psalms is that God is big enough to handle those questions. He says, come, let us reason together. Come, let's talk about it together. Get your pain out on pages of paper with me. And so King David does that again and again. Let me share with you, Judge, just one example. Psalm 69, he says this. He says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. Sounds like a flood, doesn't it? Some kind of natural evil. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. He's talking about the evil that he experiences from free moral agents there. And then he continues on with it as he's expressing his frustration, his disappointment, his, even his anger, the situation toward God. He's screaming out to God for the next 30 verses about the extent of suffering and pain that he and his people are experiencing. It's kind of like some hospitals today build in these screaming rooms because the only appropriate response Sometimes to the feeling and the face of grievous suffering and evil in this world is to let out a yell. And so wisely, there's these hospitals that are putting in place screaming rooms for patients and doctors and nurses to go in and just let out a yell. And God would invite us to do that. That's what David does here. And after he does so, he wraps up the psalm with this word of praise after he works through his emotions and after I work through my emotions with God this is oftentimes what happens to me verse 32 it says the poor will see and be glad you who seek God may your hearts live the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people let heaven and earth praise him the seas and all that move in them for God will save his people. He moves from anger and disappointment, perhaps distrust, to a deep trust in God. The point is this bring your whys to God. You're going to bring them somewhere. Don't bring them to the bar, bring them to God. Don't bring them to the centerfold or to the joint. Or to the bottle. Bring them to God. Don't bring your big questions to Hollywood. Bring them to God. Don't bring your big questions to an atheist friend or a skeptical friend who really doesn't care about your faith journey. Bring them to a spiritual mentor who's a little bit further along than you. You're struggling with unemployment right now. You're struggling with a diagnosis right now. 
God is big enough to handle your cries for help in that moment. Get into a Zoom meeting through carneyefree.com. Call up the church and get into a small group. Go to R3 Recovery Ministry or Divorce Care Ministry or Grief Share Ministry with others because none of us are strong enough to handle what we're going through alone and we need the body of Christ along with God our Father to help us through our big why questions and he is bigger than them. He's big enough to handle them. Why, God? Please help me in this, God. And then I pray that you would pray second. God, would you please reveal yourself to me in this pain? Would you come near to me and would you reveal yourself to me in the midst of this pain that I am going through? Friends, the simple fact of life is this. Your suffering can be wasted or it can be redeemed. Don't waste this quarantine. Don't waste this stay-at-home order. This is a time that in God's providence, we can grow. This is a time that we can choose to come to God and say, God, would you please reveal more of yourself to me right now? There's a simple fact of human nature for all of us, me included. We hold on to certain things that we really, really, really like, that give us comfort, And sometimes, if we're not careful, we hold on to them so hard that we can't receive something better that God wants to put into our hands. And what we're experiencing right now is our hands have been opened. The things that we've been holding on to are being lost. And I believe right now God would want to put something better into our hands. What is it that God wants to put into your hand right now? You say, God, reveal yourself to me. What is it about your character that needs to change? What is it about your relationship with God that needs to grow deeper and wider? What is it about your relationship with neighbors that needs to change? What is it that he wants to put in your hand that would be better? I think of the disciple Thomas who was crestfallen after Jesus' death. And Thomas gets a a bad rap like, oh, that silly doubter. No, that's, that's only part of the story. Uh, he's crestfallen because the one he was following, the one he believed that was the Messiah, had died. And he put his trust in him. And his friends had seen the resurrection, but he just couldn't believe that dead men would rise from the grave no matter what his friends said. And so he said, unless I see Jesus, unless I put my fingers where his nail marks were and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. And so Jesus appears to Thomas. And he comes to Thomas and he says, Thomas, please come here. Put your finger right here where the nails were and reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting now, Thomas, and believe. And he doesn't shame Thomas in the midst of his doubt. He draws near to Thomas in the midst of his doubt. He gives Thomas evidence of his resurrection in the midst of his doubt. And he gave something better to Thomas. Thomas had a portrait of following Jesus in his earthly life. Jesus instead gave him a portrait of his resurrection as he does for us. He gives us a portrait of resurrection that is even greater than having Jesus on earth in the flesh, our Lord has said. This is what Jesus does. This is what our our God does. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is one of his specialties. He draws near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
This is part of the beautiful answer to suffering and evil from a Christian worldview. He draws near to us in our pain. I read a story many years ago about a man named Father Damien who served. His calling was to serve an island in Hawaii. And when I first read his story, I was like, man, I would like to be called to such a service. The year was 1873, but I learned that it was no day at the beach for Father Damien. He went to serve on the island of Molokai because nobody else would. And nobody else would because Molokai was a leper colony. And they had no one to serve them. And so he took the call to go serve as priest and pastor and doctor to the lepers who were finishing out their days on this colony for the years to come. And he took on as his mission for the next 12 years to care for their wounds, to dress their ulcers, to nurse them in their pain, to build coffins and dig graves and conduct funeral services and to preach messages each Sunday morning. One day in 1885, everything changed for Father Damien and the lepers on this colony. As on this particular Sunday morning, Father Damien stood up before his congregation and he took off a portion of his robe to show his congregation the very first signs of his own leprosy. And he began his message that Sunday with these two words. We lepers. We lepers. And as you can imagine, in that moment, everything changed for Father Damien and the lepers. They always had great respect for him, the fact that he would serve them the way that he did, but in that moment, he moved from being a person who was serving them to one with them. And this is what Jesus does for us. God is not an outsider trying to empathize with your suffering, God is an insider who chooses to experience your suffering firsthand. God is an insider who identifies with you in your suffering, who experiences it himself and all the more. This is the word of Isaiah 53. He was rejected and he was despised. Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. And as a man of sorrows, he came and he identified with us in the midst of our sorrows. Christianity's radical answer to the question of evil and suffering is a suffering servant by the name of Jesus Christ who suffers with us firsthand. He knows and he identifies with whatever pain you are going through today. And so you say to him with confidence, God, would you reveal yourself a little bit more to me in this time that I'm going through, whatever it is, though, that you might be going through right now. 
Friends, I don't know about you, but, but for me, when I come to a question as big as why related to evil and suffering in the world, why would a good God, a loving and powerful God, allow so much evil and suffering in this world, I have to piece together a bunch of different puzzle pieces. And as I begin to piece them all together, I start to see a tapestry, start to see that puzzle bub begin to emerge. And I may not be able to see the whole thing, but, but I realize there's enough evidence there, both from practical reasons that Jesus gives us these gifts of prayer, and he gives us the emotional presence, the existential presence in our pain. And he also gives us good intellectual answers to what we are going through and the magnitude of evil and suffering in this world. And you see all those different puzzle pieces come together and you say, I believe even when there's still some doubt. And I think a third prayer that is wise for each of us to pray in this time is simply this, I trust in you, God, even when I don't get it completely. I mean, you've revealed so much to me, God. You've given me really good reasons to believe. You give us your presence in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. I trust you even when I don't completely get it. And what a prayer that would be for us in this moment. God, I put my trust in you even as I don't completely get it right now. This is what Jesus' disciples did. Just one more verse here and I'll wrap up. Jesus was given this beautiful sermon in, in John chapter 6, and he was talking about his coming suffering and the coming suffering of those who would follow him, our coming suffering, what we will endure as followers of Christ. And it wasn't, it wasn't exactly the, the health and wealth gospel they wanted. It wasn't the story of their best life now that they really wanted to hear. And there were great crowds of people that were gathered around Jesus in John chapter 6. And as he's talking to them about the suffering that was coming to him and was going to come to them as well, the crowd started to peter out one by one. They started to walk out in the middle of Jesus' sermon. Every pastor's nightmare. And as they all begin to leave, Jesus finishes up his message and he turns to his disciples and he says, what about you? Are you going to leave too? And Peter responds to Jesus in this moment with our prayer. Lord Jesus, where else would I go? To whom, to whom else should we go? Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Where else could I go? Like I've looked into Buddhism and that doesn't provide the answer. I've considered atheism and that doesn't provide the answer. I've thought about Islam and that won't do it. I've thought about no religion and agnosticism and that doesn't do it. I thought about this and I thought about that. Where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. I trust in you even if I don't completely get it, Lord Jesus. And my friends, this is the kind of dangerous prayer that we need to be saying to our God right now. I trust, Lord Jesus, that you've risen from the grave. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are good. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are powerful. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are able. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are loving. And I may not have every answer to all of my questions right now, and I still do experience great suffering, and I struggle with the feelings around that and some of the questions I have around that. But there's nowhere else I could go. 
I trust myself to you. Lord, I trust in you even when I don't completely understand. So I wonder, church, right where you're seated right now, would you be willing to pray that with me? Maybe you're sitting with a friend or a family member and maybe you'd be willing to close your eyes and if you're comfortable, you're next to a family member, maybe you could hold their hand. And together we would confess our trust in Christ. Even when sometimes, like this time, we don't completely get it. Would you join me? Oh, Father in heaven, amidst this disturbing time that we are living in, we come to you. There's nowhere else that we would rather be. We pray, Father, that you would help us in our time of need. We ask, God, that as some of us have lost our jobs in these past weeks, that you would comfort us in the midst of our affliction. You would let us know that you're not done with us, and perhaps this would be a time that you would reveal something more beautiful about yourself for us than we've ever experienced in the past. We say, God, would you please bring it on? And Father, when we're in the midst of loss, as many of us are right now, we recognize that bitterness can creep into our souls. And so we're asking, God, that you would prevent that from happening in us. Prevent bitterness from finding its way into our hearts. Instead, God, we say we trust in you even when we don't completely understand. We thank you, God, that you're a big enough God to handle our whys. You're a big enough God to handle our doubts. You're a big enough God to handle our questions. And you've provided great answers to those questions. We thank you, God, that you never leave us alone in our suffering and in our pain. We recognize together by faith it's way better to face something like this, like COVID-19, something like unemployment, something like loneliness, it's way better to face these things with you than it is to face these things without you. And so by faith, we're asking that you would reveal yourself to each and every one of us. May it be in Christ's name we pray together.